Hello, Sobertown. Welcome to the Sobertown podcast. Let's jump on that sober train and ride right in there. Incredible, wonderful world of sobriety. And real quick, I just want to mention SobertownPodcast.com, where you can go get all of the, uh, the podcast episodes, and there's tons of resources on there. And you can also join the Rewired Zooms. There's a, uh, if you go into where the Rewired, uh, rewired uh, information is with Erica Spiegelman, there's a Join Zoom button that you can push, and we can go from there. And I want to mention IAS, where... Um, our, my guest is with me right now where we met. Say hello. What's up, Sobertown? I'm I coming did. to you live. This is This Mrs. Sarah. And we met on the app called I Am Sober. Go ahead. Tell them about it. You're badass. All right, cool. Yeah. I, I knew that so, you would open up like how you did because I love how you open up on the sober baddies. Come out swinging. Yeah, I always come do. out swinging, man. I'm sunshine sober. Somebody just the other day said, you know, instead of calling it stone cold sober, we should call it sunshine sober. <laughs> Cause we're out here pissing glitter. I don't know about everybody else. And you own so, it. You're owning it. Yeah. I love it. I love and it. I am. It took me about a year though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it took me about a year. Cause you know, there's that thing where you're kind of you're embarrassed to say you're quitting drinking because that's you admitting to everyone that you had a drinking problem and they probably already knew it. They've seen you at the Christmas party, but if you know, you admit it, then it lets them know that, you know, that what they know is the truth. And now it's like, we're taught to be ashamed, right? We absolutely are. And which, which is what keeps us drinking, right? Because if you're still drinking, you don't have a problem. I'm still drinking. I don't have a drinking problem, but if you have to quit, something bad must happen. You can fall down and bust your teeth out on the concrete, mess up your face, and you're fine. But don't quit drinking after that because now you got a problem. That means she had a real bad problem. And you know what's cool? Somebody today on IAS said, rock bottom isn't one event. It's a state of being. Boom. And I thought, holy shit, because, you know, people go, did you have a rock bottom? And it's like, what, did I crash my car with my kids in the car? Did I set my house on fire? No, dude. No, it was just a series of really shitty feelings for about a few months. And I'm, I was you lived, so I lived in rock bottom. Did you live in rock you bottom? You live in rock bottom. Yes. Yeah. It's a place. It's, it's right here. Rock bottom is not an event. It's not on a police report. It's right here. It's right yeah. here. And sometimes it goes on for years. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And people normalize it. So I was like, I got to get sober. I'm going to find an app for that. Cause that's what we do. Right. So the, one of the first one that came up, it said, I am sober. And all I got it for was to just count days. And I was doing it. I was counting days, man. I was watching that clock. And then I realized there's a community on there and it's full of super badass people that have thoughts and ideas and approaches and they're starting things. And, you know, you're, they're lifting you up and then you're lifting them up. And I met Drifter and he's starting all kinds of cool stuff, just affecting lives across the globe. I'm honored to be a part of it, bro. Yeah, we're going to do that together. But you know what? I was crawling out of a black hole too when I found IAS mm-hmm. and my wife had told me because I couldn't make it home from work or from work to home without drink, stopping to get my beer and she had found a pill I don't even know the name of the pill and she's like oh if you buy this pill it could help you stop and I looked it up and I was reading the reviews and somebody had a one star review 
And they said, you're better. I was better off being an IA on the IAS app than taking this pill. <gasps> and I'm like, that's how you found out about it. That's how I found out about it. And I'm like, what the hell's I, I didn't even consider an app. So the last three years I've been trying of that drinking, I was looking for AA meetings, COVID, you know, just yeah. I couldn't make it with my work schedule and everything else. Then COVID yeah. hits. There's nothing out there with that either. And I'm like, I can't get sober. And then I can't even get sober. Like I got sober with God, like nine years or well in 20, 2002. And I'm like, God wasn't even helping me out anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing was helping yeah. me out. I saw that I went into the app and it took me two. I, I, I went in in April and I got my peanut under me June 2nd, right before you, you were like, what, Ju- July 11th. I'm June 17th june 17th yep so i'm right so yeah we're yeah we're uh we're uh sobriety irish twins yeah we're on the same sober crew yeah we are it's pretty rad and so on that app i learned and in my sobriety that no one can get you sober but yourself not even god not even nobody can get you sober and that um that when you put it in your own hands and you start taking responsibility for it, it really blew my mind. And so the reason that we're here today, should we tell them what we're all here for? Should we tell yeah, them? Yeah, go ahead. You, you bring it in. All right. So there's these Zooms, we meet up, you know, and we talk. And every time that we meet up and talk, Drifter and I are quoting the book called This Naked Mind from Annie Grace. This Naked Mind, control alcohol, find freedom, discover happiness, change your life. Annie Grace. And we're always quoting this dang book. Well, well, remember in the book when she said, and I don't know, maybe we should have a little uh, story corner where each of us talks about how this book changed our life or where we found it. This is, I, I want you to start off by telling about your aunt and the lady that cleans the houses or no, oh, yeah. or vice versa. Let's start up there. Okay. Uh, so this book, should I start off where it were? Okay. I read this book. Everybody on IAS in the early days was saying, yeah, I just read this naked mind. I'm feeling good. This naked mind, this naked mind. Never even heard of the book. But Do you people remember on the app are talking Never about Give it. Up? Do you remember Never Give Up in the beginning back then? I don't think then? so. Because uh-huh. she was running around always telling everybody, Annie Grace, this naked mind. I, posting it everywhere. I wonder. Uh-huh. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Well, there was everybody talking about it. And um, I thought, well, what the hell? And it just happens to be on the app that I use for audiobooks. So I popped it in my ears and I listened to it and it changed my life. This book, I've said it before, I'll say it right now. It feels like it reached into the back of my brain and just flicked a little switch that turned off the desire for alcohol, which I never thought was possible. I never thought that would ever happen. Do you remember um, where that was at in that book? Do you remember where you were at in that book? I mean, I think we'll get into it, but I think it kicks off right away, you know, where she talks about where, where the alcohol desire lives in your brain. And she talks, she gives us a map of how to get to that room and how to pull back the curtains, like at the end of The Wizard of Oz, where it's not just a great and powerful Oz, it's just a dude behind a curtain, you know? Right. So, so, so then I buy this book all the time. I've always got a spare copy on me and I hand it out like fucking trick or treat candy. Uh, 
but I'm not trying to get anybody sober. You can, you're the only person to get yourself sober, but my aunt, my aunt's 15 years sober and, um, she's AA and AA works for her. And that's, that's her thing. And I said, there's a book, it's called this naked mind. And it changed my life. She goes, Oh, that's cool. And, um, she, sometimes she lives in a like senior housing and she goes and cleans houses for people inside that apartment. And there was a gal, a lady who she always talks about, who's just always drunk. Sometimes she kicks her out. She's always drunk in the morning. She's just out of it. And she goes, I walk, she texts me. She goes, Sarah, was that this naked mind? Is that the, were you the one that told me about that book? And I go, yeah. And she goes, there's a drunk lady that I clean houses for. I know I've told you about her. I walked into her house today and she said she hasn't had a drink in three days. And I didn't believe her. And she held up that book. And she said, I read this book and it changed everything for me. Here's a copy for you. <laughs> and I uh. do believe, I do believe that even someone who's 15 years sober can benefit from reading this book. What do you think? I think it's true. And I think she benefited sitting down with you and Elaine on the, mm -hmm. the podcast because she's like, wow, these people are like getting together in these Zooms and you took her to a Zoom and um, mm -hmm. she's seeing a whole different, um, all she's seeing is the rooms, right? The AA rooms. Yeah. And she's yes. seeing this virtual world um, and where people are being transformed. And a lot of like the AA concept is great, but with this information that Annie Grace gives us, we're learning that we can go in there and change our thinking if you learn some basic things. But actually, she yep. let's start off with the basics. So she just let's when you start read, reading the book. I have written down. Um, she starts off with the unconscious and the conscious. What do you What do you have? Well, I think we should start. I think we should start at the very beginning, which is um, the preface. The preface. Okay. The preface, okay? So, ladies and gentlemen, what we're doing here is Drifter and I are kind of both just obsessed with this book. This book changed our life. This book changes lives. And we thought, dude, let's sit down. Let's have a talk. I don't know what, what this is going to come up. We might do chapter by chapter. This could be our little book club. Or we could just, you know, sit down and I don't know. But I think we should. Well, And you know what hit me first, too? The very beginning is what readers are saying. And the opening page, you know, is just these accolades for people who say, I can't believe that she got me to quit drinking. And when you pick up this book, when you say I'm quitting drinking and you're 24 hours in and you're craving a drink and you don't know if you're going to be able to do it or not. And you go, well, I guess this book, let's see what this book has to say. And there are people coming out of the woodwork on the opening page, you know, saying that it has ended a 25 year cycle of binge drinking and trying to stop. You're like, this book might have something for me. So then the opening page that her first, her first thing that she writes is at three 33 AM. I wake up the same time every single night. I briefly wonder if this is supposed to mean something. Probably not. She talks about how she wakes up every morning at three o'clock in the morning. And she goes in a battle with herself about, uh, how many, how much did I drink last night? I, am I a bad drinker? I, I have a problem. I know it's bad. Think about your family. And she says something like, if I could convince myself, if I could really face how bad it was, maybe I would be, you know, ashamed enough to actually quit for reals. And the only time I'm honest with myself is at this three o'clock in the morning. She had me right there, hook, line and sinker, because that's what I was doing. And that's what I was doing. 
I listened to the book. I didn't read it and I'm still listening mm -hmm. to it. But as soon as she was talking about that, I'm like, even though I've, I'm a day person or I work at nights and I'm a day when I woke up, because it doesn't matter if it's 3 a.m. or what time when you wake up, yeah, you're like, what did I do? And then I see yeah. my wife um, crying. Oh, shit. What did I say? Um, looking at my phone, the shame, guilt, remorse, the doom. I was yep. waking up so, thoughts of suicide. Uh, Sarah, absolutely. My, my mom's real dad um, killed himself because of alcoholism and his dad killed himself of alcohol suicide because of alcoholism. And I was on the way to kill myself from alcoholism yep. and my brother died of addiction. So right here with me, there's three generations with four, uh, what three people did, right? Oh my God. So here I am when I read that or listened to that part right there, because I had just downloaded the book after drunk texting into IAS, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, okay, I'm done. And I, I remembered never give up running around talking about the book. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. And I got on my phone, I ordered the book and I listened to it that night. Did you like know right away when you read it or uh, that you, it was like something clicked? I think so. I think so. I mean, that 3.33 a.m., you kind of think that you're the only one that does that, right? Because in your, in your drinking circle, you think that everybody is fine with drinking. Everybody's fine. You think you're the only one that wakes up at three o'clock in the morning and says, what about my marriage? What about my kids? I really need to cut down. How can I? And here's what she said. She says, if I can just make myself see the horror of how far I've fallen, maybe I can regain control. And so you just put yourself in this shame cycle where you just try to beat yourself down bad enough so that you can try to get better. But you know, that that's not the way to sobriety, but I, I needed that book to so when you woke up, give though, me something were you to determined? Like, so you wake up, you're going through this shit at three in the morning. Did you wake up and like, get up and say, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to do this tomorrow morning. Well, yeah, but I've done that a bunch of times. I've well, been that's doing that I, for 10 years. Exactly. So you were waking up that way, determined not to wake up that way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But then five o'clock rolls around and you forget all about that 3.33 a.m. You do. You forget all about it. You go, oh, guess the wine sounds good. Amnesia. You know, and then there you are again. There you are again. And so that thing where she talks about what her, the cycle of her relationship with alcohol and the only time she's honest with herself is at 3.33 AM. And the only way to really get through all that pain is to drink about it. I was like, huh? So then she kicks off and the introduction too, before we even get into chapter one. So there's a preface and there's an introduction. What'd she say in the introduction? Oh, she makes all those big promises. And that really hooks you. When you're reading a book and you go, I got to quit drinking. Maybe this book can help. I just need something to grab onto. And she goes, this book is going to reverse years of unconscious conditioning and return you to the perspective of a non-drinker. You go, what's on the next page? <laughs> right. Really? Nothing else? You're really going to promise me this stuff? That's a big promise yeah. in an introduction, isn't it? It absolutely is. And then she says, you think you drink because, you know, it gives you enjoyment and relaxation and social. She goes, but it's actually more subtle. It's an unconscious. And you go, what? You know about my unconscious? And it just makes you want to keep, keep drinking. And she goes, I'm going to teach you to drink less without feeling deprived. And you go, yeah, right. 
but you keep reading. So that that brings us to chapter one. You want to kick off chapter one? Or okay. What you would you get out of? Right away when I got into all of that impacted me too, but I mm-hmm. I haven't I've been really busy and I didn't update myself on the preference and the introduction like I have cool. like recently with Rewired man because the introduction and the Rewired just I like you could probably do ten friggin' episodes just on an introduction. And it's like beautiful too, you know. Right away is what got me when she's opening up is the unconscious and the conscious that we have two mm-hmm. separate learning systems. Um, yep. uh, and one is really, really powerful. And the other one is, is kind of limited. And that's yep. and that right there. I was just like, I never even thought I never even knew that I had two different um, ways to learn and, and two different learning systems. What about you? Yeah. I absolutely. And when she kind of digs into the whole, like your desire to drink lives in your unconscious and your unconscious is responsible for 90% of the decisions you make. It really blew my mind because I never really knew where my desire to drink came from. I thought that there was something wrong with me and I never knew. I thought that I had a lack of willpower. I thought that I was weak. I thought that I was damaged. And she's saying, this is your, this is your unconscious. Um, and one of the ways, have you heard my elephant, my elephant thing about the guy riding the elephant? No, tell us. I do it. I do it all the time. I'm going to do it right now. So I just finished reading. Uh, it's called the coddling of the American mind. And it's, it's pretty amazing. And it ties into some of this stuff about the way our brains work and the way we train our brains and you know, what we're doing, what our messages we're telling to our kids based on good and whatever. He says, your unconscious mind is huge. It is responsible for about 90% of the decisions you make. Your conscious mind is about 10%. Imagine a guy riding on an elephant, okay? The guy riding, that's your conscious mind going, we should turn over here. We should go over here. We should do this. We better do that. The elephant itself is your unconscious mind. If ever there were a battle of wills, the elephant's always going to win. It's a much larger beast. It's much stronger. Okay. Your your conscious mind cannot control your unconscious mind. But if you can learn to, you know, feed the elephant healthy things, take it to places that are healthy, that help it grow, then the conscious and the unconscious can begin to work in harmony. And that really helps for me seal the power, the great power of your unconscious mind. And Annie Grace takes us uh, on a trip to our unconscious mind so that we can, she hands us the key so that we can Because up to that, that point, there's not a key. Not only did we not know that we have uh, a, an unconscious mind, we don't have a key. It's not like mm-hmm. we can just um, say, okay, unconscious mind, I don't want to drink today and we're done with it. Um, yep. Because our conscious mind has zero influence really on our conscious yep. mind, unless we know how to, what the key is, right? Yep. And we Absolutely. have to find that key. Yep. But let, let's talk about the, what influences the, uh, the unconscious mind. Did, okay. Did, let's. It, that is like what, what's going on in our lives. I mean, we're yeah. growing up, we're seeing how fun alcohol is. Everybody's like showing us how fun alcohol is, right? And we're told that we can be better, faster, stronger. So this unconscious mind is being developed to 
and it doesn't know about reality. It doesn't know the difference between reality and, and non-reality. Nope. Nope. So it's, it's getting these beliefs that this is something good that's in our lives. Um, and it's, and our brains are learning this stuff through TVs, movies, social gatherings. Yep. Then you get, um, you get like in the social gatherings, everybody out having fun at the park and the parents drinking, mm-hmm. right? The ballpark, the sports events. Um, and all of this stuff is building belief, belief systems. Belief in your brain. And mm-hmm. see, mm-hmm. that's what's so powerful is these belief systems where yes. when your conscious mind is thinking, it can't just change your beliefs. And that's, is, are you in yes. agreement? That's what that key is for? A thousand percent. Yeah. She says, today's society has programmed your unconscious mind to believe alcohol brings pleasure, enjoyment, and support. So when she said that it's programmed your unconscious mind, I really felt like I could step outside of my addiction and look at it as this thing that's been programmed and that I'm going to unprogram. Yes. And then she says, um, the neural, she goes, we need to view addiction through neuroscience. Okay. Alcoholics, addicts, they're not just fuck ups and failures. Okay. Their brains have been programmed and we need to view addiction through neuroscience. And then she goes, the neurological changes that occur in your brain as a result of alcohol actually compound your unconscious desire. So alcohol changes your brain physically that actually makes you want more of it. Okay. But let's get, let's stop right there for a second because, yeah. Um, that's where they get lost in this concept of disease. Oh, well, your brain changed and you have a disease, but here's the truth of it. Our brains are, are designed uh, to change when we're born, right? We're a baby and these synapses and these neurons, they're put into place, but they're not formed yet. So as we're growing up, these neurons are being put together. They're, they're being distributed out in the brain and what, how you grow up with your experiences is going to be different than mine. And that's yep. how our, our, our beliefs are formed. This concept that, oh, your brain has changed. So now you have a disease is really actually a false concept that Mark Lewis discusses in the bio- biology of desire, right? Yeah. So, so here we have these, the alcohol making these changes in our brain, but there it's even worse because it's, uh, it's going into, and it's, I imagine it like a pathway with these tentacles yes. that are touching your desires, your feelings, love is touching all these different things. And, yeah. and, and it's growing in there and it's getting embedded deep in there. Right? Yes. Yes. So um, I, can we go back to this disease thing? One of the yes. things I think is a big flaw with for me at least, okay, look, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical professional. I'm not a psychiatric professional. I'm just a cool chick in her closet. All right. But the thing about disease is what it tells you is you can't help it. And I think a lot of people link cling to it because they go, it's not my fault. I'm not a failure and a fuck up. I have a disease. It's not my fault. I can't help it. But what that tells you is you are powerless. And that there's nothing you can do about it. And it's not your fault. And this says, look, it's been programmed into your brain. I'm going to show you how to get in there and hit that reset button. We're going to get through this. And it brings you power. 
to say, I'm going to own this. It's mine. And I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to hit the reset button. So right away, right away, when she's telling you about this unconscious mind and you're seeing this elephant with the guy on top, you're going mm-hmm. like, wow, man, there's a key. I can train this elephant. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. And, and that's exactly can. what it is. We're not powerless. We're not powerless. It's true. It's true. And I think that for, you know, all kinds of social issues today, it's like, stop telling people that they're powerless, <laughs> that, you know, the things that get the systems against them. It's like, start telling people how to, anyway. Well, we're going to have to live around that concept. And, uh, you know, if, if people want to believe that uh, they, they can, um, for me, I'm not, I, it's just something over 40 years, I've not been able to grasp and, and it's been a stumbling block for me my whole life, right? So yeah. um, this unconscious mind is so huge. And if you look in there, um, Annie Grace talks about there's 2 million bytes of information taken in per second into the unconscious mind. 2 million yes. bytes. But your consciousness can only handle seven bytes of information. Yes. So as you're sitting here, your mind is doing all kinds of, it's adjusting for your vision, right? What's far, what's close, yeah. your hearing. Um, it's giving you chills on your legs as you're having revelations about this yeah. fucking Annie Grace concept, right? Yep. Um, it's, it's doing yep. all these, it's doing millions of things per second. And you and I are only doing like seven bytes a friggin' second right here chatting. Yeah. Yep. That's a Here's a good example. Part. And like advertising and TV, and we'll go into the, you know, the way that she talks about the way we build our reality and our beliefs. But uh, one of the other examples um, from this American Mind book I read is he goes, look, you're sitting there watching TV and an ad for a fancy car comes on. All right. And it's this svelte, good looking, handsome man. And he's wearing a suit and he open he unlocks his super fancy sports car and then this beautiful woman in a red dress gets in and then they speed around together in the car and you go that's a bunch of bullshit but the next time you go to get into your car to go to work or go to the grocery store you go oh my car's junky and that's (laughs) that's that stuff getting into your head you your conscious mind goes oh come on it's not even real and then your people, people mind, would be just surprised, Sarah, is so much. Okay. If we're talking about 2 million bytes per second that your yeah. subconscious is bringing in per second, right? Mm-hmm. 2 billion bytes per second. That's a lot of fucking information every second yep. of every day. And we're being influenced with these ads. Yeah. What we're listening to on TV. Um, by and the whole thing is a lot of this stuff isn't even reality and they know what they're giving us because they know our brains right yes and they know how to get this into our brains so we turn into yep. a zombie and walk into the store which this turns into you get this conflict right because yeah your conscious mind is going i don't want to do this and i gotta yep. stop i gotta stop and then that elephant walks over to the wine cabinet doesn't it it does, and you can't stop the elephant. And this is you fighting an elephant. What's that called, Drifter? Cognitive What's it called dissonance. when you fight? <laughs> yep. Cognitive dissonance. And it's, this was my, this is, when I heard cognitive dissonance, 
first of all, that was a big thing for me to learn um, about the unconscious and the conscious. When I first, I mean, this is chapter one of this book. And she's yeah. telling us that she's going to change our beliefs and she's going to stop. Uh, we're going to stop drinking by her changing our she's beliefs. Gonna, she's going to remove our desire. She's going to remove our desire. This was the key for me. When I heard her mention cognitive dissonance and the war between the unconscious, this elephant, and the guy trying to control the elephant, um, I was like, boom, something clicked in my brain. And you know what? I really haven't had, I've had like little urges like that because it's a pathway. It's, it's still there. But there's nothing been really overwhelming since that moment. It was almost like yeah. spontaneous sobriety. Because all of a sudden I knew what I knew what I knew that yes. um, there was something loose and I started doing posts about it. There's a little fucking gremlin in my head running around, yeah. pushing buttons, pulling levers, manipulating me, uh, turning me into a zombie. For me, it was going to the liquor store for you, you the wine cabinet, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, cognitive dissonance was the biggest revelation in my friggin' life. Yes. And your whole unconscious mind says, drink, 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 drink. And you go, I got to stop. And then there's a complete war going on in your head. And when, and when she told me that, I thought, oh, okay, that's when you, can, when you can actually hold it in your hand and you can put it in a box and go, that's what this is. Then you can start to solve it. Because you can't so solve something. It's a disease. I don't know what it is. But that, that thing you go, oh. And then she says, she says, um, we're going to reverse this conditioning of the unconscious mind by educating the conscious. And, and so you go, this is how she's going to make good on all those big promises that she made. Because she said, your opinions about alcohol and desire to drink spring from lifelong mental conditioning of the unconscious mind. And we're going to we're going to reverse that conditioning by okay. educating the conscious. And that's powerful because she says yeah. lifelong. Yeah. I mean, that's lifelong. This, these are, this has been built into us. It's not just oh, yeah. like since we you just, were kids, right? I was going around from, from cowboy to cowboy at two years old, taking sips off the beer. Cause my grandfather had a ranch not uh -huh. at night when they came in, they would build fires, drink Coors and Olympia beer. And, yep. and I guess they thought it was funny seeing a yeah, little two-year-old just fall on his face, you know? Um, yep. So I, I started learning at a really early age, right? And um, I grew up with bonfires and drinking and kegers and all that stuff. And it was just, yep. you know, I felt right. I was right where I was supposed to be. All that was built into me from an early Because it's fun. It's fun. This is what the men do. This is what happens in your life. And for me, it's the same. My parents were both drinkers. I should have got, I have a picture of my parents both drinking at Christmas time. And it's a great picture, but it's, that's my childhood. It was festive. My mom's birthday is January 1st. And it was just always this fun, festive, we're celebrating, right? You know, and, and if for women, you know, it's like, there's the beautiful woman and the beautiful dress and she's funny and smart and adventurous and mysterious. And you just think that that's the elixir. That's what it's going to, it's going to bring you there. And you, you have these deeply held beliefs. They're, and they're, embedded. Gonna, they're embedded. You grew you up around a lot of social events, right? I mean, that, that's yes. what life was one big social event, wasn't it? Growing up yeah, like absolutely. that. Absolutely. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. My dad was the mayor. I mean, my mom was a chef. It was always parties, 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 fun, fun, fun. Parties, costumes, fun, so, parties, so and, and alcohol equals fun. How great, I mean, you could have parties, uh, uh, food, and all of this. And so that was your beliefs. That was yes, your beliefs. Celebrating. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then you would wake up at three o'clock in the morning, um, feeling with this cognitive dissonance. Um, and that was the only time that you could be honest with yourself was at three o'clock in the morning and by 5 PM, the elephant was taking you where it wanted to take you. Exactly. And didn't you ever, I mean, haven't you ever like made promises? Like I'm going to go to this party and I'm just going to have one glass of wine. Oh, I tried everything or one. Yeah. I tried. And that never works. You can never, I could never just have one. Or it, two. There was a process of that where um, I was trying different moderation techniques, but then it got to the point where it was every day and I just couldn't stop every day. That's how it progressed. But, yeah. Um, and you're obsessed. If you're doing a moderation technique, it's just like being on a diet. All you're fucking thinking about is carbs, 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 you know, whatever, booze, 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 whatever it is you're trying to hold back on. You're just holding back an elephant. You are. And that's where she talks about the willpower. I mean, you, the willpower is like a muscle, right? How long can you hold back an elephant? Yeah, exactly. You exactly. Can. So yep. cognitive dissonance was probably my biggest. Um, that's when I, I learned that I had to warn my head. And then understanding that all of this had been developed in me through my whole life hearing her tell me that she's going to reverse it. And that got me to liminal thinking. Yes. She says, well, I'm going to teach you to think critically about deeply held beliefs about alcohol. All right. Liminal thinking. Do you have it? You want me to read what it is? Yeah, go ahead. Liminal, which is what liminal thinking is. It's when you consciously think about your unconscious beliefs and it helps you free them up so they can Attached to a helium balloon and float away. I don't know. Liminal thinking. Influence the unconscious mind through conscious exploration and new ideas and truths. We're going to influence the unconscious through critically thinking about deeply held beliefs in the unconscious. Liminal thinking is really, there's, there's a lot to it, right? Because you can't just have a thought to change your, the way you think you need. um, Let's talk about beliefs real quick. Create the change you want by changing the way you think. Beliefs are models. Beliefs seem like perfect representations of the world, but in fact, they are imperfect models for navigating a complex, multidimensional, unknowing reality. Our beliefs really aren't even rooted uh, logic, are they? No, no, not at all. Not at all. And for us, we think it's logic because we've built it, um, you know, based on our experiences and observations, our assumptions, our conclusions. We, you know, it's basically on our opinions and the way we uh, see the world that creates our beliefs. Theories and judgments, Mm -hmm. hierarchy, Mm -hmm. um, all these different things selected facts like you we select our facts to build our beliefs right so we absolutely do right 
subjective experiences. Here we uh -huh. are. Here we are face planning almost every night, waking up yep. thinking we're having a good time, right? Yeah, we're, we're still believe, we still believe that alcohol makes things fun and exciting and interesting and sexy. We still believe that even though we wake up feeling like shit, looking like shit, performing like <coughs> shit, and even having like physical, yeah, yep. And so beliefs are a shared world. Beliefs are psychological material that we use to co-create a shared world. So we can live, work, and do things together. Changing a shared world requires changing its, under not, its underlying beliefs. So, And let's talk about her belief, the, the really great... Um, the really great model that she used to describe how we, how we find our beliefs and we um, stand firm to them. When she said, imagine a room, uh, we're back to the, we got an elephant now again, and there's three blind men and they, they all get a different parts of the element. And she goes, okay, now touch this. Tell me what it is. What do you, what do you see here? And one man, he's touching the trunk. He goes, well, this is a rope. We're touching a rope right now. And then the one guy's on the side of the elephant and he touches the skin and he goes, oh, this is a wall. We're standing against a wall. How could you possibly think this is a rope? <laughs> and, um, and that's exactly what beliefs are because it's, this is your experience from your perspective. This is your perception. This is what your, your social construct of reality is. And each of us are living in our own social contract, construct with the help of big booze, constructing yes. this world of booze for us. So liminal thinking gives you back your ability to make rational and logical decisions. This is the key, really, because this is what she uses to unlock so that we can start teaching our, our, our unconscious or, or subconscious minds new behaviors. And it takes time. Speak elephant. Yep. Act, which she developed, is a, is a great way to where you can start paying attention to your, your subconscious, because mm -hmm. a lot of times we're bombarded by thoughts and we're not even caught. Well, what was that thought? I mean, we don't examine yeah. our thoughts. Ir illogical, emotional, and irrational desires. Yes. We don't examine our thoughts. We just, we're just sort of driven by things that we believe because it's what we've been told and they match our thoughts and ideas. So uh, should we talk about the way that um, the reality thing, the way that they, the, what's this little drawing here that she has? Of, should we describe this thing about the guy standing on all the- yeah, go, go ahead. Okay, so I want you to imagine, you know, a ground floor. That is a solid line of the ground, the foundation of the ground. Okay. And on that is like podiums. It's like stair steppers, blocks stacked upon. Okay. So the ground floor that is immovable, it's the earth's, you know, it's reality. That's what's really happening. Fire is hot. It's reality. Okay. And then on top of that, we have the first block touching the reality line stacked on is our experiences and observations. Okay. Yes. We, we, we touch a fire. It feels hot. Oh gosh. And then the next one uh, stacked on top of that is our assumptions. So we make assumptions about, you know, why the fire's hot and what that means. And when I touch it, maybe it's only hot when I touch it. Maybe it's not hot all the other times. 
Maybe right. somebody did that on purpose to burn me because they're mad at me, whatever. And so we draw these conclusions based on our experiences, our assumptions build on our experiences, and then conclusions get built on those assumptions and experiences. Yes. And that's where we come up with our beliefs. And there we are standing on the top brick. Those are our beliefs. Those are our beliefs. And that, that's our reality. That's our reality. Which includes judgments and um, theories are in there too, right? Yes, yes, yes. And I think it's where we draw a lot of meaning and, you know, in our purpose. So, Which which could also be, which affects a lot of us that disagree with the disease concept, um, uh surrendering and powerlessness. Um, That became their belief system and it worked for them right? Yeah. It works for them. That, that alcohol is a beast you cannot fight, I think is sort of where they go with it. And where Annie Grace goes with it is alcohol is just a dirty little demon in a box. Let's get, let's get it. Right. So she, the whole book, she uses this thing and our unconscious is actually, when we're thinking about these bricks stacked up, it's reality, then experiences, then on top of that is assumptions. And then on top of that is conclusions. That all happens in our unconscious. All of it. And the only thing that really is conscious is our beliefs. And people go, well, why do you believe that? You go, that, that, that's just because of what it is. You can't even really access why, what <clears throat> that's built upon. Well, all of that is thinking for us. We think that we're yeah. in control, right? Yes. But it's mm-hmm. actually thinking for us. In fact, if you read in there, Annie Grace, because now I'm going out the top of my head, right? And yeah, Grace talks about um, your brain is making decisions for you one third of a second before you consciously make that choice. Yes. Yes. That's, that's pretty freaking powerful. You know what I mean? Because your brain, yeah. Because alcohol lives in your learning center of your, the emotional and the learning center of your brain. And so, your brain is taking in information faster than you are. And I know that you are your brain, <laughs> right. but it's like your unconscious brain is taking in information faster than your conscious brain is. And let's and, get back um, to that. So people remember there's two systems that are working here. One is learning off everything that's around you that you don't even, we're not even paying attention to what it's learning. We don't even know what it's learning. We don't really even know yep. what it's thinking. It's yep. it's back there studying everything. It's like this friggin' this alien. We don't have a, a little gremlin back there taking in everything that it sees. It's like, um, did you hear the thing that she did about the finding raspberries? Where it's uh, like, imagine you're a caveman and you find raspberries. You're walking along the path and you find a raspberry bush. And she goes, you're happy. Your dopamine goes off because you got this sweet treat. She goes, but your unconscious brain this entire time was taking notes and remembering what the type of vegetation was like on the way, what the texture of the soil was like, what the leaves looked like. Was it sunny or shady? Your brain took in all that information, but you didn't consciously go next time I look for raspberries, I'm going to look for you. You just, that's how we learn stuff. And so that's, that's the learning system. That's far more advanced than you. So this is about where my notes ran out because I've been so busy. So I'm going to just yeah. follow you from here and let you kind of guide us. And then uh, you'll be refreshing 
my subconscious as we go. <laughs> well, I think that I think that um, chapter one, the main idea is that we are illuminating our unconscious foundations about alcohol. And then she goes into how alcohol is addictive, physiological. I think this, you know, when you read this book, it's chapter one, and it starts out with these big promises, these big praise, and then you get into like her experience with it at 3.33 a.m. And you go, I want those promises that she makes. I can identify with that 3.33 a.m. wake up. And then she goes, here's what we're going to do. We're going to illuminate unconscious foundations about alcohol all the way down to the stupid. Okay, let's the, talk uh, about that details. elimination right there of alcohol yeah. or about yeah. our, our subconscious. First of all, Brene Brown talks about shame, not living in being able to exist in light once you expose shame, yeah. right? So let's look at our unconscious the same way because really all of our lives, it's been living in sec secrecy in the dark, back yes. there manipulating, right? So yes. all of a sudden we get to this point where we're able to like, oh, I have a subconscious and we're, we're starting to like shine a light on this part of our mind. Um, and try to be able to observe it. Right. That's a big key right there is just knowing that it's there. This built a whole new network for me because I'm like, yeah. oh, wow, I have a co cognitive dissonance. There's a war going on up there. What do I do? Yep. How do I get in? Yep. How do oh, my brain lives in secrecy. How do I get in there to find out what's going on? And then that's when, you know, we can start learning different techniques that work for us. Yes. And, and I think it helps you control alcohol because you can observe what's triggering you. That's so huge. Triggers. You can observe because she makes a list of the beliefs about alcohol includes statements like alcohol provides enjoyment. Alcohol provides relief. Alcohol is the key to social situations. A party can't really be a party without booze. Alcohol makes us funnier or more creative. Alcohol can relieve our stress and boredom. For some reason, it can be hard, if not impossible, to stop drinking. For the very definition of alcoholic and alcoholism, that's the stuff that keeps us drinking, even when we're waking up with missing teeth or whatever. And the way that the society teaches us to take it lightly with the, um, the household uh, tea towels and say, it's not drinking alone if the kids are home. We have too much wine, said no one ever. It's not a hangover. It's the wine flu. I cook with wine. Sometimes I even put it in the food. Wine, because no great story ever started with someone eating a salad. And those are the thoughts and ideas that keep us trapped. Yes. But when we learn about them and then we go on vacation. Okay, we're going, I'm going to go sober. I went on vacation. I was like maybe six months sober. I don't know. And I went on vacation. I was at an all-inclusive resort in Mexico. And people were literally walking up to me, trying to hand me drinks. And I thought, I'm at a foreign country surrounded by strangers. No one would know if I drank. And you know what I did? I thought about this book and I thought, this is, this is the, the big lie here where alcohol is trying to tell me that it's going to contribute to my enjoyment and my relaxation and my fun and my creativity. But that's not true. It's, it's the trap because yeah. um, was when you get out of the resort or off the bus or off the, the boat, whatever, however you got there mm -hmm. and everybody departs, they're going over to the bar, right? So here they are. They went to a whole new country 
to, to see the sites, to see what's going on, to see the culture and everything else. And they can't even make it 50 feet. They're stuck at the bar. And that, a lot of yeah. them, that's as far as they ever get. Exactly. Did you see that when, when you were on your vacation? Have I, have I told you about the airport bar and the airport parking lot? No, tell me. I think, I've, I think I've talked about it before, but it was really profound to me because I was newly sober and this was my first vacation. And I thought, gosh, I hope I can do this. I do feel good. We get out of the airport in Cancun. You finally get to the outside. It's sweltering hot and you have to find your shuttle to get to you to your hotel. Well, there's this shitty like pop-up like kiosk of a bar. And there's people just crowded around it. And in my mind's eye, I was there with my kids trying to get everybody a drink of water, trying to look up the confirmation number for the shuttles so I can get us to the hotel, you know. And I look over and I see all those people at that bar. And in my sobriety, in my clarity of my mind, I thought I could envision like handcuffs on them. And they were like handcuffed like to that bar. And I thought they can't even get out of the shitty airport parking lot. They have to go report to their demon. They can't even get into the pretty part. They have to go report to their demon. And it was, it was a really profound image for me because I, they didn't seem happy. They were in some shitty parking lot. It was just like asphalt everywhere. It was so hot. It was barely, I don't think there was even shade. And like, you're in beautiful Mexico. And I, I envisioned the handcuffs on them because they didn't have a choice because they've been conditioned to believe that this is what fun is. Yes. And they're stuck. Yeah. And you were able yep. to go to your motel, go see sites yeah. and enjoy your yeah. sobriety. You're free. And yep. you weren't handcuffed and you weren't enslaved. That's and true. There's, there's That's a huge, true. there's a huge difference. How yep. much further do you have? Well, I think I don't have a whole lot because at the end of the chapter, she goes into the, she goes, all this is true. And you know, you do need to access this. But another thing you need to know is physiologically, alcohol is an addictive substance. Okay. So not as only you have a compound, some, right. These pathways, yeah. but the chemical is enhancing all this, which even makes it yes. more insidious, right? Yes. Because you, you have some, and then it calls back when, and when she said that it kind of calls back out for itself to relieve the effects of it leaving your system and it makes you unhappy and uncomfortable. So it sort of calls back out for itself. That was a big aha moment for me to think the more I drink, the more I drink. And if I stop drinking, I'll stop wanting it. It'll stop being inside my system, calling back out for itself. So <clears throat> let's highlight this chapter real quick. Um, uh -huh. The preference, um, that was her waking up at what? 3 a.m., right? Yeah. The, yeah. The preference. And I think yeah, that's preface. What, the preface, yeah. I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, I majored why everybody else was at the bar at the airport parking lot. I majored in the parking lot in high school, right? In junior high yeah. school and probably almost every grade. I can't even say yeah. preference, right? I can't even send an email seven months ago. I don't know anybody that, that's in recovery that wasn't waking up like that. And, what, and that really has driven a change. And we only really talk about it and share it when we're, when we decide to come clean because it's our darkest secret that we hate ourselves and we hate the alcohol, but at happy hour, 
You know, we got the tea towel, the tea towel that says, I love to cook with wine. Sometimes I even use it in the food. <laughs> the introduction was how and she talks about reversing years of unconscious conditioning and return to the perspective of a non-drinker. I think it's where she makes her big promises. She goes, here's what you can expect from this. And you go, wow. Because I think the preface, the preface, she says, this is who I am. And you go, oh my God, that's who I am. Right. And then she says, here's what I'm going to do for you. You think you drink because it makes you fun and happy and you decide to, but it's actually more subtle. It's unconscious. And I'm going to have you, I'm going to teach you how to drink less without deprivation. And you go, okay, I'll, I'm in, I'm in. You sold me. Let's read this. She literally takes the desire away. Yeah. And then she kicks off chapter one and she talks about what is unconscious, what is conscious, what is consciousness, consciousness. from Miriam Webster's. Mm-hmm. And she read, says that we're going to read that to people. What consciousness sure. is. Sure, 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 sure. Unconscious. This is from Miriam Webster's unconscious. The part of the mind that a person is not aware of, but that is a powerful force in controlling behavior. Conscious aware of something such as a fact or a feeling knowing that something exists or is happening. Consciousness. It's a noun. The condition of being conscious, the quality or state of being aware, especially of something within oneself, the upper level of mental life, which the person is aware of as contrasted with unconscious processes. You know, when I, I heard that today, because I, I was refreshing my mind and I heard that and I'm like, man, that is so friggin' powerful, that yeah. statement. So yeah. here you are, you're, you're what, around seven? 17 months now um yeah i'm like in the 500 days so i'll carry the two divide by pi um, yeah about to be 18 i guess in december i guess it'll be 18 because i got sober in month six your desire there's been like a switch that's been flicked in your brain yeah yes and it was from reading this book it was absolutely from reading this book it was absolutely from reading this book i listened to it and then it was so profound that I had to buy it so that I could write it and underline and highlight stuff. And then I listened to it again as I was writing that letter to my brother. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah. And then um, our guy, Shiki, he had his relapse in August. And I didn't really know him that well. I just sort of had seen him on the Zooms and... I, you know, had seen him on IAS and I listened to his podcast about his relapse and I just reached out to him. I was like, Hey, can I get your email? And I drew a picture of him. Um, cause I just had to like, I don't know why that relapse that he had, it just, it kind of shook me because the way that he described it, I felt like I lived it with him. And so I drew this picture of him. Um, cause he said that at one point he was, uh, he was drinking he, he, he relapsed on a Friday. Okay. And then he decided what the fuck I might as well just spend the weekend. Okay. And it was Sunday night. He had been fighting with his wife all weekend long and they were in an argument and he went downstairs and he goes, that's it. I'm dumping it all out. I really am done. And he says in the podcast, he says with one hand, I was dumping it down the sink. And with the other, I was necking the bottle. And so I drew this picture of him. He said, I was standing there. It was the stupidest sight. I was standing there in my boxer shorts, pouring one bottle down the sink and one bottle down my throat. 
And that's cognitive dissonance. It is right there in front of your face. Yeah. So I reached out to him. I said, hey, do you want to read this book with me? It's called This Naked Mind. I was like, here's a picture I drew of you. <laughs> that's funny. Do you want to read this book? And he goes, nah, I don't. I don't. He's like busy. He's like, I don't have time to read a book. I would love to, but I don't have time. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to read it to you because I could use another reading. I haven't listened to it in, you know, six months or so. And it would definitely refresh for me. And I just feel like, because I felt like the reason it's not like it's my job to take on other addicts. It's just that I like him. He's a cool dude. And I feel like I resonated with him. And, um, the reason that he relapsed, it sounded like he was having FOMO. Like everyone was having fun drinking. Like he, something in his brain somewhere, even Explain though he's been FOMO seven or eight so months. People understand oh, FOMO. FOMO is what the kids are saying these days. It's fear of missing out. And it felt like in his podcast, the way that he explained it, it really grabbed me the way his podcast was about his relapse. It's, it's, it was, it was gripping. But it sounded like he still believed that alcohol provides enjoyment. Somewhere deep in his brain, he still believed that it provided enjoyment and that he was missing out and that it provided relief and that he was missing out, you know, and it was the key to social situations. And it wasn't really a party because he was on vacation when he relapsed and it just, it just built up and it got to him. And so I thought, let's get into that. Let's, let's train that elephant, bro. And so we're, it's been, you know. I don't know how long it's been now, maybe uh, three months or so. And so we're on chapter 18. Um, Liminal point. It's cultural. I need to drink to fit in. And so it's awesome. It's awesome. And this book, I don't even know why. I I love how she does her liminal points through there in the the beginning. I didn't even understand what I'm like, what the hell is a liminal point? Yes. I'm going to say it again. (laughs) Liminal thinking is how to influence the unconscious mind through conscious exploration of new ideas and truths. It's thinking critically about deeply held beliefs. And when you do that, you, you can access those unconscious beliefs and go, that's just something I saw on an ad. That's just something they're selling me. That's not true. Now, and then you can bust out. Sarah, this takes effort. Just so everybody knows you don't just like sit, you have to like liberal think. You have to think about what you're thinking. Really? Yes. It's thinking about your thinking. Yes. And that's what all good therapy teaches you to do. I talk about taking them captive and then examining them. Yeah. And that's what ACT taught me how to do. And if I could tell anybody, find a system like ACT, because when when you get a thought, you become aware of it. Hold it. What was that thought? And then you clarify it. And that's what I was doing with my cravings. I would, okay, I just had a thought of alcohol. I clar- I'm clarifying it. What's it making me feel? Uh, what's it making me think? It's telling me I'm mm-hmm. going to have fun. My heart is racing. Mm-hmm. My, all these different things are happening to me. I'm feeling anxious. I'm clarifying it. And then she taught, teaches you to turn it around. You know, okay, if I do take that drink, these are the things that are, are going to happen. I'm going to feel good for like, you know, 15 or 20 minutes, then I'm going to want another one. Then I'm going to want another one. Then I'm going to end up in a blackout. Then I'm going to end up drunk texting people. Then I'm going to end up, um, my wife, I'm going to wake up and she's going to be crying because I've I've said something or done something to hurt her. And I would go through the whole 
thing, just with those thoughts of, um, of alcohol, that was reaching into my subconscious, right? Yes. Look, this has progressed to recently I stopped going to Zooms. Well, a couple months ago, well, about six months ago, I stopped going to Zooms because I couldn't uh, deal with, I, it would just send me over the edge, right? Uh-huh. So I started dealing with, I stopped going to the Zooms and I started dealing with that part of my mind. Why am I feeling like that? Why yeah. am I, because the alcohol is gone and I'm still going into these behaviors. So I've been able to use that same liminal thinking, right? Yes. To go after this anxieties that I get being in groups. And I, I knew it had to do with groups. Last night mm-hmm. I hosted, I facilitated uh, that meeting, the rewired meeting. Yes. And you know what? Yes. Not one second of that whole meeting did I go, I called it hypermania where I go really high and then I drop into like depression and it would wipe me out for like five days, two uh-huh. weeks, right? I have zero, because I've been working on this over the last six months. Yes. And I've been reaching in with liminal thinking. Um, yes. It's, I've affected other areas of my life, not just alcohol. So if I could suggest to anybody, pick up the book, Start working. You can rewire. We can rewire our brains. We're not powerless. We're (laughs) empowered. But you got to start. You got to start somewhere. And Annie Grace started the roadmap for me. And then I've just gone further since then. But she's where it all started for me. And it started with cognitive dissonance, the conscious and the unconscious. And it was like a light bulb. So yeah. And the whole thing about how you we've been a lifelong conditioned by images and thoughts and ideas about what alcohol is. And she says images in your mind comprise the language of your unconscious mind. So every time for me, when I see that beautiful model who's been airbrushed and Photoshopped holding a glass of wine, that gets me that beautiful woman. I want to be that beautiful exotic, mysterious girl with a glass of wine. And it gets me. And that's the thing I have to go. Yeah, but it's just going to make me slurry and red faced. (laughs) It's not going to make me prettier. Right. When you have that thought, that specific thought, you have to address it. And that's what liminal thinking is. You're thinking through the thought. Yes, 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 yes. When you Uh, learn, train your brain to do that, it opens up other doors. It does. It does because you can control, you know, your the way that you're intaking information. And for me, um, it made me feel like I've been asleep. Like I've just been a zombie. You said a zombie earlier. Like I've just been kind of blindly following this some big con- I don't know. It's like big. You've tobacco, been blindly big following booze. the elephant, right? Yeah. The elephant has been yeah. leading you, and you didn't even. And know I'm it. not in. Con- I'm not in control of the elephant. You know who's in control of the elephant right now is like big marketing. It is. They're driving is. everyone's elephant and you're just laying on the, on its back, just not even trying to control it. And so it's. But it's yes, what's it's bad about the big marketing is they're influencing everybody around you. That's the matrix, right? That's what I call yeah, it. The matrix. It is. It's exactly the matrix. Well, there's things that we have about, you know, advertisements and, you know, celebrities on TV drinking during TV shows or movies. But then it gets reinforced because the people we know and love in our social circles go, 
alcohol is fun. You know, they have that tea towel that says, it's not drinking alone. If the kids are in the house, ha, you know, so. That's the matrix. And they're all living this, this lie. I wonder what the percentages are that are waking up like we were right at 3 a.m. I know. I I hope it's growing. Is what Annie Grace has helped us do. And I'm going to speak for you on this. And she's helped us disconnect from that matrix. Hell yeah. And the way I envision it, because when we start talking about neural pathways, I think you were one of the first ones that really started talking about that on the IAS app. And I envision drinking as this super highway freeway in your brain that everyone's on. It's super busy. Everyone's on it. And then you read this book. And what this book was for me in my brain is it was a quiet woodland trail in my brain a quiet trail that might be overgrown with, you know, plants and stuff. And you kind of have to hack your way through to find the footpath. And it's not as easy or fast as the major super highway that everyone's on. But if you continue to walk it and you bring your tools with you to kind of clear away the path here and there, clear away, get it clear. And then it's this nice path that you continue to walk and you got to stay on it. You got to keep walking it. It's like an exercise. It's like a muscle, you know, you keep walking it. And then you have your own neural pathways about how to understand alcohol. It's not just the major fucking Bud Light superhighway that everybody else is on. You just ex- you just said the same thing Erica Spiegelman says in her book. She talks about she says she talks about the pathway, and eventually, but she doesn't use a high, super highway. She uses two pathways. You were on one pathway, then you get on the other. It's kind of difficult. Once you make that new trail, the old pathway starts to cover itself. Right? Yeah. So once yep. you're on this new pathway, you don't need that old highway anymore. Nope. Nope. And it's still there. It still creeps in. You know, when I'm on vacation, when I'm wearing a pretty dress, when, when I'm celebrating at a holiday or whatever, but I have the ability now to think beyond that. I have the liminal thinking that goes, well, that's just, that's just the elephant who was trained by TVs, commercials and celebrities and films to think that this will enhance this, but it will not enhance this. Well, I don't know where she said it, but there was a part where she said drinking alcohol is like pouring gasoline on anxiety. And maybe we'll get to that. And it creates its own anxiety. That was a clincher for me. And that's what I use. If ever I feel triggered, I go, yeah, but do you want to wake up with twice the amount of anxiety? If I could tell everybody, get the book, start reading the book, start learning about cognitive dissonance, start learning about the war in your mind and learning to address these thoughts in your mind. And let it open up other doors where you can start learning about pathways, where you start learning about what's going on in your brain. And that's what Annie Grace did for me. She opened up the door with cognitive dissonance. She let me know that there was a war going on in there. So then it drove me to find out more about neurons and synapses and um, getting into a lot deeper stuff about it. And you know what? She empowered me. So that's what I would say. Get the book, get empowered and start a journey where you can get the hell out of where you're at in that dark black hole. Because you really do have the power to remove your desire to drink. You do. I don't, I don't desire. I don't wish I could drink. I don't wish I could. I don't want it. (laughs) I know about it. So what would you tell everybody? I mean, I think I would just say that, um, It's not your fault. You are not weak. You are not a failure. You have been conditioned. You have been trained 
and you have the power to train yourself out of it. And there's a big important aspect about this too, I think, because at the same time, we are involved with the IAS community, okay? Yeah. I would say that being connected to other people that are like-minded is, was also the huge key because I would have never gotten sober without everybody surrounding me in IAS. And it, it yep. brought me to a place of accountability. And yes. also I plugged into what I was watching other people and I call myself a recovery thief, right? Because I still ship from everybody. I, I take shit from AA. I, it doesn't matter if I see something I yeah. like, I take it and I use yeah. it for my purposes. For me, I'm like a Heinz 57 recovery thief. My, yeah. I, my brain's filled with all kinds of shit from all different kinds of aspects, right? Yeah. Being plugged in, I couldn't get that on my own, right? For th- yeah. the last three years of my recovery on my own, I was doomed to every day jump into zombie mode with that gremlin in my head walking me into the store. Mm-hmm. When I got around mm-hmm. you guys, you gave me support. You gave me uh, direction. Tools. You gave me the yeah. tools. By the way, from like Bray Brown, I learned about the the arena where she talks about Roosevelt, right? And then I realized, shit, I've been sitting in the stands all these years watching the cheap seats. (laughs) There you go. And now I'm like, that's a big thing with me. Let's get in the arena, get your face marred with dust and blood and everything else and fight because the war is in your mind. And so the community, I learned all that from the community, Sarah. It's true. All right. So what should we do with these? Like we just, that was chapter one folks. That was chapter one. That was us one hour going crazy about chapter one. I think we do two and three next because they're both the drink. uh, Yeah. The drink and the drinker. I don't have the book in front. I ordered the book today. So I have it in paperback. Um, Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Most of this stuff, I, I wrote some notes from listening this morning, but most of this I'm going just off the top of my head too so well you're good you're super good um she's got quotes at the beginning of every chapter and they're all really good like this one that says anything unconscious dissolves when you shine the light of consciousness on it and that's exactly that is i mean when you get that when you really understand that um because our conscious mind it lives in the dark it it controls us in the dark literally yeah it we does. don't even we don't even know why we're doing it. We're just why'd you do nope. that? I don't know. I just I, I know. felt like I don't it. even know. Yep. But once you shine so, a light on it, you'll be able to tell people, well, I did that because of this and this and this. Yeah. And that's a strong mind. That's a strong mind. That's not a mind that's asleep. That's a mind that understands. Um so, so I just do, have loved meeting with next. you about this. Cool, cool. Cool. So stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be back with a little bit more. If you don't have this naked mind, I say get it. This is not sponsored by Annie Grace. Shout out to Annie Grace, though. Hey, girl, we love <laughs> right you. On. And I do want to <laughs> tell everybody that we have these rewired Zooms that we're building. Yes. Um, with Erica Spiegelman. It's Monday night, Eastern time, New York time. And then Thursday nights is going to be the UK, 830 um, GMT, UK time. It's Thursday mm-hmm. nights, and maybe in the future here, you'll get one of these going too, right, Sarah? Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. After yeah, um, I love the idea of it. After the holidays or something, maybe. Uh, yeah, it marries up real well with all these concepts because it's about you and your brain. It's all the stuff that you're in control of. And it's empowering. 
ourselves. Mm -hmm. And once mm -hmm. we get sober, what do we do? We recover our authentic self. <laughs> we do. We're honest. We learn honesty, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much we learn time management. Now you can't get it, as much done in as one day as I can. Either I'm really good at time management or I'm really bad. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, Drifter, this has been rad, dude. This has been rad. It's so fun to talk to another person like who's a geek about this book. Yeah, yeah. like-minded. You know, this book changed my life. It changed my life. And it, it's, you know what the cool thing about this, Sarah, is that uh, provoked you to change other people's life. You're literally reading this book to Shiki who is in the UK, right? Yeah. I mean, and that's what sobriety does. When you've fought your way out of the darkness, and that's why how Sobertown is being created and everything that we're doing, we've all of us are volunteering our time and our energy because that sobriety has given us that extra time to where we can give back and, and help yep. pull everybody out of the darkness and help each other to keep moving forward too. Yep. I think that's a self-worth thing. Cause you find your self-worth and you go, I have what it takes to help other people. It really, it literally restores my soul. Right. Because I've got, yep. I've got a lot of years of destruction in my life where, mm -hmm. I mean, all the drugs that I've sold, just all the shit that I've done in my life before I even got sober, I wanted to give back. And I showed you a little video of what I yeah. used to do, Right. I loved it. Um, I know what it's like when you give back and I know the benefits that you, you get for yourself when you give back you, money, can't buy that shit. Nope. You can't buy helping somebody out. You can't the benefits mm -hmm. that you get. Um, yep. I don't sleep much, but when I sleep, I do sleep good now. <laughs> right. That's good. Oh, real quick. I got to say something about sleep in this book. She, I, I wrote this down and we just didn't get to it, but she says, this type of book encourages your mind to consider the information when you're not actually reading, even when you sleep. Exactly. I remember reading that, right? And I'm like, oh, right. This chick's going to get me sober while I sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but it does. It really, it that's does. how liminal thinking works. Well, yep. thank you so much. Yep. And thank oh, you, thank everybody. You and remember, pour the poison down the sink. Bye-bye. Yep. Bye. -bye. Yep. Bye.